0: Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Hey, if it's your first or second time, it's great to have you here with us today. Uh, you never been here before, we preach in sermon series. That just means, hey, we're going to stay in a, some kind of subject for a few weeks, and so uh, we started a new sermon series a few weeks ago called Double Down because so many new people are coming to our to our church right now. I want to kind of give you a, up to kind of get you up to date. And so uh, I have a buffalo or bison, whatever you want to call it, uh, behind behind me. I don't know what it is; it just looks mean. And so, uh, but the the point of this is, a few months ago, I learned that buffalo or bison are the only animal. Uh, and I think this is true, but it is true that they are an animal. I don't know if they're the only animal, but for my sermon, they're the only animal. And so, when there's a storm that comes. Uh, they run through it. They don't run away from it. So cows, they'll see a storm. They run the opposite direction. They're not that fast and so they end up just running themselves into the storm and they just run with the storm. Buffalo or bison will see the storm on the horizon. They will run right to it knowing the faster they get to it, the faster they get through it. And I told you a lot of churches I feel like in this season are running away from the storm. They're actually putting themselves in the storm as they just keep going. I want to be the type of church that runs through the storm. And so I told you a couple weeks ago, I know it's risky to have church right now. I I know that. But we're just going to pick our risk. I think the greatest threat to Christians should be uh, biblically People dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. The greatest threat to my life is not death. That's what the Bible teaches me. That this is not the end of my life, that, that I'm here for a moment and then I'm gone. And so I'm not going to live my life picking that risk. I'm going to the, 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 pick the other risk. I'm going to live my life in the hopes that I'm going to reach as many people for Jesus as I can possibly reach. Number two, last week we talked about being built, built tough. I said it's going to be tough to share the message of Jesus Christ in these days. We're going to be built tough. We're going to stand firm on the foundation of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to talk to you. The title of my message is, is don't, don't Bow Down. Don't, don't bow down. In my day and age, um, we used to have a phrase called, don't be a sellout. Anybody mem- remember that? Don't be a sellout. I don't know what the kids say today. I can't keep up with what the kids say today. But in my day and age, uh, a term for don't bow down is, is don't be a sellout. And that just simply means don't sell your brothers out. Like, I, let me just give you some examples. I'm going to make some confessions up here. This is church. This is a place of grace. So let me give you, because I've always just had anybody else, of a, like, kind of, not of a rebellious spirit, but like if you say go left, I want to see what's right. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to know why it says don't 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 go right. I've just always had that. I'm not saying it's okay. I know rebellion is is a sign of witchcraft and and demonic oppression in my life and I'm working through it and the Lord has healed me and changed me of it. But innately I'm 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 rebellious. So I went to Bible college with a little bit of that rebellion inside of me. My first year, I moved into a dorm called Davis Hall. Davis Hall uh, was a dorm. It looked like an army barracks meets me meet a jail. It had three wings on it. Every wing was made out of cinder blocks. All the hallways were were that old uh, the old fake tile floor. Pretty sure it can kill you now. Asbestos. Uh, there was about thirty rooms on each hall. Each hall had one bathroom, three stalls, three toilets, three showers, three sinks for about sixty guys. So I, as you can imagine, the janitors that cleaned to those buildings and those halls needed a lot of prayer. And so I lived there and I remember as I was there I was at Bible college with all sorts of rules, all sorts of stipulations. I had this rebellious spirit in me. I had this roommate his name's Jason Lake. He's he's questionably saved. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going to be saved. I'm going to Bible college. I don't really know what I'm there for. He's there to play Play basketball, and so like he's he's definitely not saved. at Bible college, and so he just went wherever they would let him play. And so like we're we're in this dorm room, we we meet each other. He's kind of rebellious. We're both kind of kind of pranksters and stuff like that. And so one of the best pranks we did uh, in in Bible college is all, all the rooms are, are twelve by twelve metal doors, concrete, all this stuff. And every room had a bunk bed and two desks and two metal chairs. Not not swivel chairs, not, not not padded chairs, two metal chairs. This was like prison and you had two metal chairs and we would take the metal chairs. Everybody would go to bed at some point when they were done playing Bond or, or Tony Hawk or whatever that, that is our generation's Fortnite. And so I've been introduced to Fortnite and, and I, I you know, watching my kids play it and they're like, It's yeah, so cool and I'm like, Yeah it's so cool. And so like so we're doing that. And, and and every night, about everybody would go to bed, we would still be up, kind of rebellious. We would take this metal chair, real dark hallway, the hallway's about this narrow, everybody's doors are closed, and we'd take this metal chair, we would get all the way to the end of the hallway, and you would just run as fast as you can, and you would just, <laughs> and then you would quick jump into your, your door, close it, jump in your bed, get under the covers, and you would listen, and it would go and everybody would hear doors opening up. And we did this pretty consistently. Uh, it got so bad, they started counting chairs. They want to make sure every room has two chairs. So my, my rebellious Spirit, Jason Lake's rebellious Spirit, we found a bunch of extra chairs laying around that we would stick under our beds so that we would have them so that we could then put the two chairs in our room so they could count them. And I remember our conversation. It went something like this. Don't you dare sell me out. Don't you tell anybody we're doing this. Some other things that we did, I'm making some confessions. They used to make it mandatory for us to go to church. And so RA would come around, knock on doors, check for church. We had two built-in closets in our shelves. There was clothes, top and bottom. We used to get behind the clothes, pull them in front of us, position some, some shirts because I was super tired because I was taking 13 hours, you know, at, at Bible college. And I couldn't quite possibly be expected to get up and go to church at 1030 in the morning as I'm going to Bible college. That was out of the question. And our RA would come by. And I remember I would knock on the door between our closets and I would say these words what was it don't sell me out don't you dare if he finds you in there don't tell him I'm in here at some point, somehow, we got a key to the gymnasium. Our curfew was 11 p.m. on most, most nights, I think, 12 p.m. It was Bible college. Nothing good happens at 12 p.m. We got a key to the gym somehow, and we used to jump the fence behind Davis between the wings, run to the gym, play basketball. The overweight security guard would come find us, try to chase us. We would run. We would jump over the fence, because you know he wasn't jumping over the fence, and we would get back into our rooms, and we would say the same thing. Don't you dare sell me out. I don't want to talk to you on the topic. I'm not trying to brag about my, my you know... My evil, rebellious spirit, and I've definitely changed. I'm 40 years old since then, and I'm not giving you, if you're going to college or if my sons are in here, I'm not giving you leeway to misbehave, but I think there's something to that. See, the church is, to me, not facing what is what I would call an evolution of the church, the changing of the church, the online church, the, the more, you know, this church. I think the church is facing what I would call the di- 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 dilution of the church. I think there's something happening in, in the church in our time where the church should be getting stronger and more vocal and more passionate. And I actually see the church uh, di- being diluted from the truth, which is weird because the Bible says the truth, will set you free. And so I want to talk to you on the concept of, of not bowing down and standing up for God in this time. In fact, this is the, one, of the, one of the main messages of Scripture. The Bible says in, in Matthew 10, it says, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. There's, there's times Jesus says stuff that just doesn't sound very Jesus-like. If you're going to follow me, he says, you're going to be hated by everyone. He was specifically talking to his early followers Who would face this? If you're gonna follow me, if we're gonna start this church that's gonna change this world, people are gonna hate you. He said, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Paul reiterates this in Ephesians 6, where he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle. Remember this in the next two months, by the way. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. He goes on to list some, some points, of some, some articles of the, the, the armor of God, the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, the shoes of, of peace, right? The sword of the spirit. He, he tells you, get ready to stand, this, this, this principle of, hey, in, in your world, at some point, you're going to have to make a stand. So what I want to do is I want to drop you into the same time frame as last week, but a different story. We talked last week about Ezekiel, where God tells Ezekiel, as he's a prophet to the, to the, the Jewish people who have been exiled from Babylon, that he's going to give, he's going to give Ezekiel a head of Flint. He's going, to give him, he's going to give him a head of Flint. He's going to make him hard-headed as he shares this message with these people that are not going to listen. When Ezekiel was busy doing that, there was other young men from from Jerusalem that had been exiled that had a different life. They ended up in a different spot. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel chapter 1 that Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, destroys homes, and kills people, and then he steals against people's will the best and the brightest to bring them back to Babylon, to indoctrinate them, to make them useful resources to this, this ever-growing empire, the most, the most powerful empire that the world had known at that, up to that point so they take these, these people, we get introduced to a few of them in the book of Daniel chapter 1. One's name is, is Daniel. The other three are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so today I'm going to teach you the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you've never heard those names before and you think you're going to have a hard time keeping up with me, it took me 39 years to figure. remember those names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so don't stress out, just, just stay with me. So these three men get into, into Babylon and they begin to, begin to to get indoctrinated by this really different culture like they they were led by a really evil king Nebuchadnezzar he's he's crazy like he's just he's belligerent he's angry uh he'll kill people at the drop of the hat he has agenda he is just concerned with building his empire and so they now are in close quarters with this Nebuchadnezzar the culture the religion of that that time was very demonic very demented uh they hated God things of God and so here comes these good good Jewish boys and they are being indoctrinated into this faith and in this culture. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3, we get introduced to this moment in this culture, which I think is one of the, one of the most amazing Bible stories in, in all of Scripture. This amazing moment where, where, where they have to make a decision. Are they gonna stand? Are they, are they gonna bow down? Are they gonna stand? Are they gonna get, give in? The Bible says in Daniel chapter 3, watch what it says uh, in verse number 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 one. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar He makes an image of gold. It it describes it. It says it's 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and he sets it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So, so I I did some studying this week because a cubit is different in all cultures. If you were a Hebrew, a cubit was was right around 17 and a half a half inches, like like like. So one cubit, 17 and a half inches. Babylon, it was almost 20 inches. So when I studied how big this thing was, it was about 99 feet tall, about 10 feet wide. So I started picturing what the heck what the, this was. And to myself, I was like, man, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's overcompensating. Like something is going on in this moment. Like this, this picture, I don't know what this was. I used to think it was a big statue of a dude, but that is an extremely skinny guy. Like that is a weird statue. So he makes this statue. And he brings all these people, watch what the Bible says in, in Daniel 3, it says, And then summon the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Then Daniel says in verse number three, sometimes I'm like, Daniel, you could have just said, so those guys, but he says it again. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, judges, magistrates, and all the other officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up as they stand before it. So here's the moment, watch what he says. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what I want you to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, here we go again, the zither, could have just said the band, Daniel, the zither, the harp, the pipe, all the kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 99 feet tall, 10 feet wide. As soon as you hear this music, you you must bow down. And then he says this, he gives you the the checkmate. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown in in the camera. To this bla- into this blazing furnace here's what's going to happen we're going to play this music and as soon as the music plays no matter where you're from i want you to bow down but here's the problem shadrach meshach and abednego they're in trouble they're not in trouble just because they're in babylon but they're in trouble because they were raised in jerusalem under under the theology of the torah They were taught in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 5. Listen to this. That the Bible says, God says, you should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. There's never going to be a moment in your life where it's going to be cool for you to bow down to an idol. Have you noticed that's been kind of a problem in the last couple weeks of sports? Because you have some people who say, I'm not going to bow. And they say, why? They say, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And they say, yeah, but you're an American citizen. Don't you believe in equality? Certainly I do. But my first citizenship is not in America. My first citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And I don't bow to anybody but him. You notice the one guy who did that on the magic, he he just became a born again uh, or ordained minister. And then he played. Uh, He didn't bow down. He was the only person on the team. Which, by the way, that's sometimes what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. And then he blew out his MCL and people (laughs) applauded. Did you see that? You should have bowed down. And I'll say, no, no, sometimes even to follow the Lord, you lose stuff, but you still don't bow. Why? Because you are first a citizen of the kingdom of God, and then you are a citizen of heaven. Am I glad to be in America? Absolutely that I am. But my allegiance is to him. So they're in trouble because they've been taught as young boys, no matter what, you worship the one true God. We don't worship weird statues carved by weird people. We don't worship. I "I would never worship that. Yes, you worship idols all the time. We worship sports and we worship kids and, and sometimes we worship our spouses and we worship positions and, and, and work and we worship things all the time. And he says, don't worship anything besides me. How do you know you worship it? Get your attention, get your best effort, get your thought, get your stress. The music starts playing. The Bible says in Daniel number, chapter 3 verse number 7, watch it. it says, this is as soon as they heard And Here we go again. Of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp. All kinds of music, a.k.a. not one cool instrument. (laughs) I'm going to get an email about that one. All the nations, watch what it says, and peoples of every language, what do they do? They fall down and they worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. The music starts. They're scared of the furnace. They bow down and worship. You know, as I was getting my sermon prepared this week, one of my prayers this week was, God, help me to get my sermon done fast. (laughs) And not because it wasn't important, but because I wanted to go up and be a part of what was going on at Mosaic. And sometimes sermons can take 16 hours. I was like, God, would you give me the word that you want me to speak quickly? I know that you, you led me to this story, but God, would you bring me this word? Tuesday morning, I was going to get up early and come down here and prepare the message. And hopefully I get it done quick and then go to Mosaic for the rest of the day and spend the rest of the week up there. Tuesday morning at 4.30, I was woken up by the Holy Spirit with three distinct thoughts in my heart. In my heart. And I was like, there's my sermon. Thank you, Lord then I thought to myself, can you do this every Tuesday at 4.30 in the morning? (laughs) And there was three things, I think, in this story that the people that were in this moment, this price that they they had to either face or or not face, pay or or not pay, that I I thought to myself, in our culture, I've seen so many Christians willing to bow down and willing not to stand up because they're, they're willing to pay these prices or not pay these prices. These very distinct things. And I see them in this story. I want to give them to you. They all start with peace, so it will be it'll be easy to remember. But the first price that I see that most people aren't willing to pay is the price of position. Let's, let's 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 not let's not mince words here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got the upgrade. They had to change their name. But they went from Jerusalem, kind of all right place to live, you know, could never figure it out. And they are in Babylon, in the palace. Like this this is the most powerful, resource-filled, rich uh, empire in the world. They're working, for, they're working for the most powerful man in the world. They, they have it made. They can have any food that they want. They can have anything that they want in that moment as they become who he, he wants them to become. They have a great position. We think that they've been taken and it's bad. But once they get there, man, this is a pretty awesome place to live if you think about it. There's girls everywhere, there's food everywhere, they're being lavish, they're being taught, they're getting new names, they have their own tutors, like, they are in a pretty good position, and here they are, their life might look a little better, and here's the problem with so many times in church, is we teach people, you serve the Lord, your life will get better, and I want to be really clear, sometimes you serve the Lord and it gets tougher, because if you, if you teach, it gets better, then when it gets better, you're like, this is the Lord's will. So they're here in this position, and they're about to have to bow. And they're going, well, it's not that big of a deal. Because we weren't supposed to bow when we were there in that temple, in that situation, studying that theology. But the Lord has allowed us to be in a different position. And so it would just make sense. I know Deuteronomy says to not bow to anything but the Lord. But in this moment, everybody is going to bow. And if we don't bow, we're going to get burned by that furnace. So it just makes sense that we would bow. And what's on the line? A position. The position of, of the place that they, 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 they were at. And I think at some point in your life, you're going to need to understand that at, at, at some level, at some moment, you might have to sacrifice a position on this earth to continue to stay faithful to what God has called you to, to do. There might be a moment that, that you might have to sacrifice a position that you would get at work, a promotion because you won't sleep with a coworker or gossip about the boss or get involved in office politics. It might be a team that you really want to make or a part that you really want to get if you're in production or something like that that you won't get because you refuse to do the wrong things it might be finding out that the company you work for is corrupt and you know that you have to tell someone but if you tell someone that job that you worked so hard for starting way back in college that it's gonna cost you there's gonna be moments where you have to be willing to sacrifice position it might be a board that you're on that you've been voted on to by your peers that you know if you speak your mind in truth that it might cost you anybody been watching the board meetings for your school man that's some that's some entertainment right there we're part of the Phoenix so I watched that board meeting and I watched the board members and I'm not speaking bad or negatively about them because they have a really impossible impossible job right now and you're not gonna keep everybody happy but there was this one guy on there that every time that he spoke I could tell everybody disagreed with him because it's zoom your face is on it and he would talk, and you would see the people doing this. And I thought to myself, you ain't getting voted back on. And then I thought to myself, that's what it looks like many times to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There's many times in your life that you are going to have to be willing to sacrifice a, a, a position. I call it the Chick-fil-A phenomenon. How in the heck can a restaurant make it being closed on one of the busiest days of the week, like I worked in restaurants, the busiest days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the rest of the week you can make nothing as long as you have a good weekend, and somehow the most thriving fast food restaurant in America closed on Sunday, Mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, right? At some point you're going to have to sacrifice position, it's coming, like I'm not one of those people that wants to scare you uh, about the book of Revelation because I don't know how it's all working out. I don't know if we're living in the final moments. I don't know what's going to happen. I've grown up in church where the be- believe in the rapture came before the tribulation. I went to Bible college. They said it might not come before the tribulation. It might be in the middle. Then I talked to some people that are really awful. They say it's at the end of the tribulation. And, and so I don't know. I believe in the pan theory. It all pans out in the end as long as you're on the right team. But I know stuff's going to get difficult. I know there's at some point, like in America, we really hadn't have to give up much to follow the Lord, but at some point it's coming. The Bible tells us that in the book of Revelation 13. He says the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Like this sounds like, sounds like this story we're reading, but it's in the future. Then he says, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the number of the beast of the number of of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. The number is 666. Some of you are like, I don't do that number. If I get that, if it's 666 at Wawa, I get a piece of candy. I'll do that number. But the point of this is, eventually, for you to stand for the Lord, you're going to lose some things on this earth. Like there could be a possibility that if you don't take that mark and you don't bow down to whatever that beast is, that you can't find success, that you can't go to school, that you can't go to this college, that you can't walk into to this restaurant, that at some point in order for you to follow the Lord, that you are going to have to be willing to give up some type of position in your life. And here's what I want to tell you, is a faith that can't do that in your life, that can't take anything from you, I believe is a faith that can't make anything of you. At some point, your faith should be sacrificial. number one position. Number two is popularity. (laughs) At some point, you're going to have to understand that when you follow the Lord, you're probably not going to be that well liked. Did you see this part of the story? The Bible says, as soon. What does that mean? There was a bunch of people there. They looked around. Everybody else bowed. So what did they do? They bowed. Everybody else is bowing, so we're just going to bow. Why? Because that's the popular thing to do. That word, as soon... It's kind of crazy to me, because I see so many Christians, as soon as it's unpopular, we we don't stand for it. As soon as someone doesn't agree with me, I don't stand with it. As soon as someone thinks that I'm weird, can I just talk to you about that one real fast? If you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and consistently people don't think you're weird that are not fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, you are not a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You're just not. Because me and you, we are weird. If you, if you have fully devoted your life, if you wake up on Sunday morning and you serve and, and you're crazy enough to take a week of vacation to go build out a church that you are never probably going to go back to and getting anything for, your name's not going on anywhere. If you're doing that's weird. Everybody else is dying to go to the beach, and you're going to Reading, Pennsylvania. If you take 10% of your money that you work hard for and you give it back to a church, that is, that is weird. If you are a young person and you aren't sleeping around with people and you're not on TikTok all day long because you don't have time because you're doing things that actually matter and, and you're not obsessed with your looks and obsessed, and you're doing all, you are going to be weird. And what I've found is if you don't want to be weird, don't follow the Lord. As soon as it's weird, I don't wanna wanna do it. As soon as I lose a friend, I I, I, I stop doing it. When I feel like I'm gonna get left out. Here's what you need to understand Jesus wasn't that popular. Like, he spent 33 years and he went to the cross, and the only three people that were at the cross were, were Mary, his mom. If you don't have your mom, you're real jacked up, right? Mary Magdalene, and John. That's it. He rose from the dead. He saw hundreds of people after he rose from the dead. He clearly told them, I'm going to go back to heaven, but wait here, because I'm going to send the counselor who's going to come and empower you, and the same power that lived in me is going to live in you. And he saw hundreds and hundreds of people. One time he saw 500 people at one point and told them this. And just a few weeks passed. There's only 120 people there. He worked 33 years. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He he healed people. He died on a cross. Man, he had holes in his hands and in his ankles. And he came back from the dead. And he only had 120 people show up at his party in the upper room. If you were a pastor and you pastored for three years on this earth, that's what he 30 to 33, and you had 120 people, I can promise you they're not inviting you to teach a workshop or go to a conference. You are unsuccessful in most people's eyes. When it was time to pick a replacement for Judas, there was three guys they could find. Three guys. Like Jesus, he was not super popular. Sometimes he was praised, but quicker than you knew it, oftentimes people also hated him at the same, at the same time. And so I'm going to tell you at some point, you're going to have to be willing to pay the price of being popular. That's what Paul said in Galatians 1. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Because if I'm trying to please people i could not please god i could not be a servant of christ i can do one or the other this is what you need to understand about our church. We're not a popular church. I'm not trying to be a popular church. I'm not trying to be a cool church. We're not trying to be a hip church. We're not trying to be a relevant church. We're not trying to be a church where, where everybody can come and it's just cool and it can just kind of ha- hang out. That's not the type of church we're trying to be. We are not a politically correct church or a politically correct club. We are a biblically correct church. And that means sometimes we're going to share the truth and the truth's not going to be popular, but the truth has the ability to set you free. Can I just give you a couple of other truths, since everybody shares their truths today? Listen, remember, church, just because it's common, it doesn't mean it's normal. Just, just, just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's right, and just because it draws criticism doesn't mean it's unbiblical and wrong. At some point, you're going to have to stand up, and you're not going to be popular for it, and I love the words of Jesus, not because I love them because they're easy, but because I love them because they're sobering. Watch well, what Jesus says in Matthew, Mark 8. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That has always been sobering to me. Because, man, I want to be cool. Man, I want to be light. Nobody walks around and doesn't want to be light. Doesn't want people to think he's, they're, 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 they're rad. Hip, whatever you say now. But here's what I found: if you want to make a difference in this world, you got to be different. So number one, number one, position. Number two, number two, popularity. Number three, lastly, people. Pe- people. I want you to picture this because this, this is this is me reading into the story. They're there. He has a class. Shadrach Meshach and Abednego. I'm not really sure where Daniel was. at. I'm gonna have to ask him someday. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there. Uh, I'm assuming they're with some other guys from from their hometown. And then let's just say their trainer was from Babylon. His name's George. George, they probably became friends at some point. Like they're hanging out. Like I I can just imagine. I went to school with people from all over the country, all over the country. Arkansas, like Arkansas is a different world. Louisiana, uh, my roommate was from El Paso or Houston, somewhere like that. I had another friend from Arizona, like just all over the world didn't like the same teams, didn't talk the same way, didn't like the same food, you know, got introduced to things that I didn't know people ate, like crawdads, right, which we call crayfish, which I didn't know people ate those, right? You got to be desperate, right? And so like, you, like they ate, and I remember thinking, okay, let's try these, and like all these foods. And, but we, we, as we spent time together, those differences kind of faded, and we became friends, right, like family, And I can only imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, because the Bible references Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're super respectful. They have a lot of integrity. They they, they are a class act. They teach us how to make a difference in a culture uh, without sacrificing your relationship with God. It's an amazing principle. Integrity, doing what you say you're going to do. It's amazing. Uh, And I can just imagine they're well-liked. Like George loves them, right? So this music starts playing. And all over, there's other Georges, other trainers, indoctrinators. And they got their class. We're going to see if you're going to bow down to, this, to this, this, big, this, big, this big idol. The music starts. Everybody starts to bow. And George is standing there. And I bet he gives them a look. And the look is, don't you dare embarrass me. You better bow. You better bow. Now, we're going to get into the end of the story. But can you just imagine if they decide not to bow? And they look down. And, and George and Nebuchadnezzar make eye contact and Nebuchadnezzar knows you're supposed to be one of the guys that trains and teaches these guys to do what I say to do and all of a sudden they're not don't you know that that relationship is going to be different forever like it's not going to be like "Eh, we're still boys like at, at some point in your life I need you to understand something somebody you love is probably not going to like you because of your love for Jesus Christ they're not your enemies. That's not what I'm telling you. That We don't have earthly enemies. But what it means is Christ is your everything. Like, in fact, I want you to take in these words from Jesus because they're, they're very rarely read in church. Like, there's things we know. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Everybody knows. Jesus says not to judge. Don't judge me. Like, these, these are pretty famous, pretty famous Bible verses, right? As the deer painted for the water that's been on your grandma's mug for the last, you know, like, that's... That stuff. But the, the words of Jesus sometimes are are so like they're, they're so abrasive. Watch what he says in Mar- Matthew 10. He says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, kind of the same same reference as Mark Mark 8. I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on this earth. Well, the Bible says that he was going to bring peace to all men, but, but he says right here don't you suppose that I came to bring peace on this earth because his peace is greater than this earth. It's heavenly peace. It's eternal peace. On this earth, don't, don't think that I just came to be everybody's homeboy. Remember that? shirt. Sure. I didn't just come to bring peace. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He said, this is Jesus. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a, do- a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, right? A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Whoever, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, he says. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me, they're not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We should read that a couple times. Here's what's going to happen if you decide to follow me. You're going to come into relationship with somebody, and if you fully follow me, it might break that relationship down. Some of you, you've experienced that. I have staff members, they've experienced that. That their, their unbelieving parents that don't go to church had one plan for them, and they were raised in that, that bubble. This is your plan. You're going to go here. You're going to do this. This is what success looks like. And then Jesus changed their life, and now they're in full-time ministry, which, which if you're not in church, you're like, is that even a real job? Is not a real job and they you're a loser you work at a church that's what losers do and literally their family is, is, is broken like it would have been peaceful for them to go to school and to get a career and to do the things but to follow Jesus there, there's a brokenness there I've seen this over and over and over again and at some point in your life I promise you you'll have to decide if I keep peace with this relationship I'm not going to be able to keep peace with my relationship with the Lord but if I do what the Lord wants me to do in this moment, this person probably not going to like me right now. And I think you always do what the Lord called you to do. One of my favorite stories is about this, this, this pretty, pretty famous atheist. Um, his name was Peter Penn Gillette. He's Penn the magician. You remember what I'm talking about? Uh, I think he got ate by a tiger maybe. One of them did. Something bad happened like that. Penn and Teller, right? And Penn said one time, he said, he said, I don't agree with anything that Christians believe. Anything. But you know what I, what I hate even more? The Christians who claim to believe in Jesus in heaven and hell and refuse to try to convert me. Like, I don't like what they say at all. I disagree with it. But I got no respect for the Christian who says they believe that heaven and hell was on the line and the only way to get back to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And they say Nothing. I found that to be true. There's moments in your life where what what you do, you you actually splinter this relationship, right? When you you do what God has called you to do. But sometimes it's just for a season. And sometimes you're building the foundation or planting the seeds for that person to go, wow, if they would stand for Jesus in this moment, it must be real. Which, by the way, is why I believe the story of the New Testament. That's why I believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's that's why I believe... uh, that he died on the cross for our sins. That's why I believe the words, the miracles. I believe it because the guys that followed, they were all cowards and they all ran on the night of Jesus' death and something changed. It changed so much. What changed is they saw Jesus risen in power. It changed their life that they were then willing to give up their life for it. Which I I would, I would say, that's probably for some of you, why your faith is futile and powerless. And you're like, there's people all around me that don't know Jesus. Uh, and and I, I would say, yeah, probably because it's never cost you anything to follow him. Pro- probably because it's not weird. Probably, probably because you've never made a stand. Probably because you back. Can I, can I tell you how this story ends real fast? So the music plays. George, he's not in the Bible story, by the way, Daniel 3, don't look for him. George looks down and sees his, his line of, of, of troops, his trainees. And the music starts. And Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't bow, you're going to the furnace. So the Bible says as soon as the music started playing, all those instruments, right, everybody bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. George looks down, makes eye contact with them, gives them the same look that dad gives to a kid when they can't get to them on that side of the table, but you know later on you're in trouble. Sees Nebuchadnezzar, nostrils flaring. Stops the music. I see everybody bowing. This is kind of a condensed version. Everybody bowing except for three men. Who are they? They come down to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, you must have not heard my flute. You didn't hear the seer playing. You must. My bad. Let me just turn it up. So we'll give you another chance. So we turn the music up. Nebuchadnezzar standing right there in their presence. The most powerful man in the world at that point. He's going to throw them into the, the fiery furnace. If they don't the music starts again, what kind of guts does it take? Three out of place young Jewish men. They've had their, their dignity stripped, they've had their identity stripped, they've had their names changed. And they just stand there. I don't know if they stand like this. I don't know if their knees are buckled in. I don't know how they stand. I don't know if I would. I don't even know what that would feel like the entire region everybody bowing down they stand Nebuchadnezzar goes that's it That's it Throw him in the furnace but here's the part I left out before that he played the music again He said heat this thing up seven times hotter Let's see I'm gonna put some heat on you let's put some pressure on you He made it so hot that the people who were making it hotter when they got close it was burning them alive This this, this furnace was raging. So they're looking here. They're looking at Nebuchadnezzar's nostrils flaring out, right? His hot breath is on them. They're looking at the furnace, and they stand, and he loses his mind. He says, throw him in the furnace. Could you imagine what it felt like as they walked towards the furnace? Some of the words they said to to Nebuchadnezzar is, we're not going to bow. The Lord's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, doesn't. We're not bound to you so here they get ushered in to this furnace and they go in, three, three men and the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar this godless, evil, demonic ruler killer he looks into the furnace and he does this with his eyes he says how many men do we throw in there? and they said three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego he said And it appears as if there's four men in there and one of them looks like the son of God he did this again and he sees them and he calls them out of the fire. And the Bible says that they come from the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's the coolest part. And they don't even smell like smoke. God is a bad mamma Jama. They don't even smell like smoke. The Bible says Nebuchadnezzar, he's amazed, and he begins to rejoice at the real God. Something shifts in that moment in his heart and for them. And here's what I have found out in my life that is so true. Is spineless believers, they don't often get to experience the spiritually miraculous like this. You cower and you cave and you don't get to see the power of God. Just like Ephesians says, hey, just stand firm. Stand firm. Stand up. Don't bow down. Don't give up. Don't worry about not being popular to be to be different you got to be different to make a difference you got to be different don't worry about people running out on you the bible says that god will never leave you nor forsake you sometimes you got to realize that you don't need anybody else by not having anybody else that's what god does in those moments there's times god's going to ask you to step away from a lucrative position so that he can take you into real purpose pay the price pay the price do me a favor which you bow heads to close your eyes. What what courage, church? What courage? What strength. So different than I, I've seen in my own life, and so different than I've seen in the Church of America. So much whimpering. So much fear. So much selfishness, so much apathy in our faith to where they'll tell us that close to nine out of ten Christians never lead a friend or family member to Jesus. Nine out of ten. Never one time share their faith and watch somebody respond to the gospel. And there's a, a different animal. There's a different, different courage in that moment where he say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not bowing." And they get to see the miraculous. There's so many in this place. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to know about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is, is, it's free. And it's a gift. That's all true. The Bible says that the gospel was a gift to us. The grace of God through Jesus Christ. Through his death, burial and resurrection. But man, I want to tell you something else. It's one thing to receive it, but it takes courage to walk in it. It takes courage to walk in it. So many times we've come to these moments in church and we tell people, you know, God wants to make a personal decision and it's going to do it right here and nobody has to know about it. But man, that is your faith is public. This decision is private. You make it. I get it. But God wants to use your life. He wants to put your life on display to be a magnifier of the goodness of God. The Bible calls us a city on a hill that should not be hidden. The light of the world, the salt of the earth. And listen, it takes courage. It takes strength. The first step is the easiest. It's the easiest. So here's what we do at this church. Uh, I believe people come here every week, don't yet know Christ, don't have a relationship with him. And I believe in, in, in church that, that the Lord has the ability to change somebody's life forever. That's the promise of Scripture. That it's better to spend one moment with God, one day with God, than a thousands elsewhere. I take that to mean that he can accomplish more in a moment with him than all of your work, all of your therapy, all of your anger, all of your bitterness, all, all, all of your effort, all of the books that you have read. That one moment with the Lord is more powerful and effective than all that work. I've seen it happen. And I know, I know. That God does the knock and the draw and the inviting. That he sets the moments up just like this. That there's people in these rooms, Montgomeryville, watching online right here in Phoenixville. That you don't yet know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with him. I'm not asking you if you believe in God. That, that the Bible says even the demons believe. I'm asking you if you follow Jesus Christ. If you understand the gospel. The gospel says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages, the payment of that sin is death and hell. And it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's the gift of salvation. But listen, just like any other gift, he hands you the gift, but you have to receive it. It takes courage. It takes strength. It takes boldness. And so I think how you start something determines where you go from there. So I could just say, hey, if that's you, were going to pray. And if you need to pray that prayer, just pray it. But I think there needs to be more than that. I think you need to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're making this decision. I think it needs to be a line in the sand. And so what we've done it in the history of this church is I'm not going to make you come forward, call you out. Everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. But I think the step of courage... The step of discomfort is to say, in saying, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's real simple, a hand towards the air. And, and he, here's the picture of why I have people do that. The Bible calls God our Heavenly Father. I'm the father of, of three boys. And uh, before they could talk, the universal signal that a baby or a toddler needs you before they can really speak is they just put their hands up. And that's just a signal to their to their, to their father, their mother, I want you to hold me. And this is essentially what happens in salvation. I've tried to do life on my own, but today I want to I place my life in your hands. And so it's like that, that child before their parent lifting their hands up, and that's the signal, God, I want a relationship with you. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do as we close. It's going to take courage and strength, but the rest of your life following him takes courage. And God can do more with one step of faith and courage than all the work you've done up to this point he's here right now so I'm going to ask you in a second if you're online and you need to respond Uh, obviously you can't just raise your hand and I won't be able to see you Uh, but there's moderators sitting behind the computers right there and all you're going to do is say hey that's me Uh, maybe I'm I'm responding maybe a little emoji let them know so that we can pray with you as we close but if you're physically here in church with us in Montgomeryville and Phoenixville and this is your moment you need to call in the name of the Lord you need to step into faith. You need to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You are a sinner, and you want to be saved by grace. Come on, there's already hands going up all over this room. Without you, would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven, straight towards heaven as you would a father. There's hand here, hand here, hand here, hand here, hand here. Yeah, yeah, hand here, hand here, yeah. I want to communicate with you so you understand what's going on. Uh, The Bible Bible says when one person comes home to the Lord, that all of heaven stops to celebrate. We will not miss this moment of celebration, church. This is why we give, why we serve, why we show up, why we worship. We want the presence of God to show up, and we want him to do what only he could do. We want his word to be spoken in power, and we want his presence to manifest in a life-changing way. And he's here right now. He's here right now. we're going to pray in a second but maybe there's one more person who would say hey pastor that's me I didn't respond but today I need a relationship with Jesus Christ I want to invite my heavenly father into my life I want to call on his name the Bible says I'll be saved is there anybody else as we get ready to pray who would say hey pastor that's me come on let's begin to pray all over this house Jesus we love you and we thank you for this day Lord I thank you for those gathered all through homes and at campuses right now Lord those in Montgomeryville that are responding to the gospel those right here who, in one step of faith, admit, I need a Savior. I can't do life on my own anymore. I'm tired of being broken and stress-filled and full of anxiety and lost and angry and bitter. And today, Jesus, I just want you to come in. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that you're not the type of God who says, clean yourself up, fix yourself, and come to me. But the Bible says if we're weary and we're heavy laden, we can take our yoke, your yoke upon you because it's light. Bible says if you if if we have need to call on the name of the Lord the Bible speaks of a peace that surpasses all understanding and Lord this joy this unspeakable joy that is here right now in this moment Lord there's people that their minds have been so burdened and heavy with their past but right now they're forgiven and free they're having a new heart they're going to begin to have new vision for their life as they look into the future that you have called and created them for Lord because they believe that if their heart is still beating that you still have a good place for the life and we're grateful for that and as we leave this place we leave this place on mission Lord we're the church we're the church this is our moment in history Lord. so many people in my life have prayed for revival Lord but Lord, what I've noticed about revival is it comes in pressure Lord it comes in moments of difficulty Lord when the church gets more focused Lord we're focused on you we're keeping the main thing the main thing and as we leave this place Lord give us the eyes to see what only you see give us a heart that cares a compassion like you have, Lord, for this world. Lord, we're grateful for all that you've done and all that you continue to do as you seek and save the lost through this church. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Hey, one more time, Journey Church, let's clap as loud as we can and say amen. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, Visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.